helping people cope with and overcome life's challenges. This is Life Transformations with Michael Hart, Canadian Certified Counselor and Award-Winning Psychotherapist. Thank you for joining us in this episode of the Life Transformation Show. This is your host, Michael Hart of Elam Counseling Services. And today we have another interesting show lined up for you. Today's show is titled, Resolving Conflicting Inner Voices. Whenever we encounter situations in which we experience conflicting thoughts, beliefs, or are called upon to make conflicting actions. There is an internal conflict that we experience. And there is this stirring inside of us that tries to get us back to a state of harmony. Psychologists call this conflicting state cognitive dissonance. Here is a modern-day example of cognitive dissonance. So you make a purchase of $30 with a $100 bill and the cashier, meaning to give you back a change of $70, but gives you back $120 change instead. Your first thought may have been, this is great. I can put this extra money towards the buying of my Valentine's gift. However, there is this other thought that pops into your mind that says, I can't do that. I must point the mistake out to the cashier. At that point, you are experiencing cognitive dissonance. These conflicting thoughts of your internal dialogue call on you to make a decision to resolve the conflict. If you make the decision against if you make a decision against your values you may come up with reasons to try to justify why you're making a decision against your values. So sometimes we get really creative with this. Using this same scenario the person who has gotten that extra $50 of change may have said to themselves Oh, I will use this money to pay my tithe, so it's not that bad after all. I'm giving it to God. You know, I'm stealing this money, but I'm giving it to God, so it's not so so much a bad thing. Or the thought might be, the store overcharges people all the time, so this is God's way of paying them back. In these circumstances, the decisions we make can either lead us to a state of internal peace or create stress feelings that may last for a long time. However, there are other times when a person may act in ways that feel comfortable when they're experiencing cognitive dissonance to make them feel comfortable in the short term, but this may not be in their best interest. So, for example, people who are experiencing peer pressure, for example, in order to fit in with the crowd, they might make a decision that may put their life in danger or may get them addicted to drug. But in the interim, in the short term, 
it helps to deal with the discomfort they feel in the midst of their peers. At times, we may even sabotage opportunities or happiness just to resolve the internal conflict that we feel from cognitive dissonance. In this podcast today, I will be using five biblical stories to give examples of different types of cognitive dissonance that are very common today. And so, the first of the five types of cognitive dissonance is what I call cognitive dissonance rooted in a lack of self-confidence. And this is An example of this is King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10. If we read 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1 through to about verse 21, we will see that King Saul lacked confidence. So in that passage, if you read those verses, you will see that King Saul was anointed to be king by Samuel. He was not yet king at the time, but Samuel, the prophet Samuel, had selected him under God's instruction and had anointed him to be Israel's first king. However, when it was time, the time for his inauguration ceremony, King Saul was nowhere to be found. The people were gathered, speeches were made, sacrifices were offered. But the man who was supposed to be Israel's first king was missing in action. You see, there was a cognitive dissonance that King Saul was feeling where there is a part of him that wanted to be king, but there is this other part of him that's saying, you're not worthy to be king. You can't be king. You're not from a noble family. You may have the look, you may have the stature of a great, of a a strong man, of a tall man, but internally you are lacking in confidence. You cannot do that job. You cannot be king. Yet God had selected him to be the first king. So the passage tells us that they looked for Saul and they could not find him. And then eventually they found him hiding among the baggages. That's interesting because I think in that passage, the word baggages is used in a literal way. There were actually baggages that people had carried. There, you know, people had carried their supplies and all of that from the distance around the country. They traveled to this inauguration ceremony and these baggages were there and Saul was hiding among the baggages of the people. But There are times when we hide behind the figurative baggages in our lives, the things of the past that makes us feel less than. Maybe it was the ridicule of your classmates that made you feel not good enough. Or maybe it was the the words, the harsh words of an angry alcoholic father or the, 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 the lack of love from a narcissistic mother. But regardless of what the source is, a person has 
root causes that gives them this lack of confidence. So King Saul was called for a position of greatness. He was about to to step up to take the throne, but this internal dialogue, this cognitive dissonance that he was feeling internally caused him to be hiding among the baggages. What are you hiding from in your life? What is it that God has called you to, but you have decided that you are not good enough for it, or maybe you are not educated enough for it, or maybe you are not intelligent enough for it, and you have come up with a reason to try to to silence that cognitive dissonance. And whatever the reason may be, it is a way of you trying to avoid that internal conflict. So there is that's the first kind, cognitive dissonance that's rooted in a lack of confidence. But we also have cognitive dissonance that is rooted in culture. And we have an example of this in the story of the woman at the well. We see that Jesus was talking to this woman who was at the well to fetch water in the heat of the day in, in at around noon, the hottest time of the day when most people, the other women of the village, would would be indoors. She came at a time where she thought, thought that there would be no one else at the well, maybe to avoid the shame and the scorn that other woman heaped up on her. Maybe because she was Samaritan, she did so to avoid the superior attitudes of the Jews of the day. But regardless of the reason, she came there expecting to be alone But Jesus met her there at the well, and he started this conversation with her. He showed her respect. He showed her kindness. And as a result of that, she started experiencing cognitive dissonance, because what she was experiencing from Jesus did not fit with with what he was saying to her. And so she asked the question, how is it that you being a Jew ask of me a Samaritan for water to drink? And so it is, the Bible says that in those days, the custom was that the Jews would have nothing to do with the Samaritan. So this cognitive dissonance that the woman at the well is experiencing, there is something that is just not right. Should I flee this place? Should I run away from this encounter? Because it just does not make sense. Culture says this should not be happening. And so she had this cognitive, this internal conflict that was going on inside her because what she was experiencing did not match with what she knew of the Jews. And so in our culture today, we also have cognitive dissonance in a number of ways. There are times when 
people's expectation as to what they can achieve is limited by what society caused them to believe about themselves. There was a time when blacks, for example, in the United States were told that they could not aspire to be lawyers or doctors, that they had to be janitors because that was what they were capable of. But did you know that even in today's society, women uh, experience these kinds of cultural limitation where they are made to feel that they cannot aspire to some positions or they cannot be good at some subjects. So I'd just like to use an experiment that was done to illustrate this second point. So there's a study that was done by psychologists in 1999. And what they did is that they set up uh, this experiment where both men and women were randomly assigned to learn either that a difficult math test had shown gender differences. So these men and women were told that either the, the math tests that they were about to the math test that they were about to take showed significant gender differences in the past and and another test in which they were told that there were no gender differences. So, in other words, one of the tests they tell the participants that women did not score well on the test and in the other test they said there was no gender differences. Men and women did equally well on this test. What is interesting that they found that for the group of women that they told that there were significant gender differences on these math tests and that women did not do well on those in on that test, that the participants who took that test did significantly worse than the other tests. But the, the, the thing is that there were no difference between the two tests, just the way in which the participants' expectations were framed. So there is a cognitive dissonance that we feel internally when we have limitations placed upon us. Those women who were taking the test in which they were told that women did not do well on this exam, there, there is a cognitive dissonance that say you are not going to do well because you are a woman. And there might be another side of their brain that is saying, maybe you can do it. But as the result shows, because of the cultural expectation that women are not good at math, the woman did poorly on this test, whereas women who were not told that there was this there was this gender difference did not have the same bad experience on the exam. So this is just an example of how what culture tell us can place limitations in our mind because we get to this place where our internal dialogue says you cannot do that. And sometimes we may even try, but there is this thing in the back of our mind saying, you are going to fail. And as a result of that cognitive dissonance, we end up not doing the best that we could. Michael will be right back. 
You have been listening to the Life Transformation Show, where award-winning psychotherapist Michael Hart of Elim Counseling Services has been speaking on another interesting topic, resolving conflicting inner voices. You can find out more about us at elimcounselingministry.com or by calling one 204 2914 where you can also make a donation to this Christ-centered ministry. Your donations help us to stay on the air and to provide subsidized counseling to those who can't afford it. Back to Michael. So what is it that is limiting your potential? What is it from the culture that you live in? Maybe it's a family culture that is telling you that maybe you're, you are not good for certain kind of things because your family is not good at language or your family is not good at the arts. What is it that you are believing that is limiting your potential? Or maybe it is something that God is calling you to, but you're feeling that culturally that just would not, you would just not do good in that position. Because maybe culturally you don't have the qualifications that are expected for that profession. But let me say that some of the greatest achievements that people have achieved in life came as a result of stepping out of that box and realizing that you are not limited by what people expect of you because with God you can do great and mighty things. And then the third point today is that there is cognitive dissonance that's rooted in fear cognitive dissonance rooted in fear. And we see an example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 9 with Mephibosheth, the the grandson of King Saul, the son of Jonathan. And so in, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we are told that David one day had this thought that there must be someone remaining from Jonathan's family that I can show favor. And he asked around, and finally someone said, you know what, there is this son that he had by the name of Mephibosheth, but he's crippled in both feet. Mephibosheth had an accident when he was five years old, and he was crippled in both feet. But even being a, a man that, a, a young man that was crippled, Mephibosheth still lived in fear of David because he believed that David, the ruling king, would kill him because he was the grandson of the previous king. And so this is a very sad story. We have this young man. He's crippled in both feet. He's no threat to King David. He's not thinking rationally. But there is this thought inside of him that is saying he's in danger and is living in this desert place. And the name of Phibosheth implies that he has some kind of a breathing condition, difficulty in breathing. And so this man who has respiratory issue is living in this desert place out of fear that King David was about to kill him. And he's living his life in this place for many years when one day he was summoned by King David to come to the palace. And Mephibosheth thought to himself, 
This is the day I am going to die. And as he came before King David, King David must have noticed that he was trembling and that he was very fearful. And King David said to him, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. But what happened next is surprising. What King David said to Mephibosheth is, I am going to restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather. So just think about it. This man had wealth awaiting him. This man had position of privilege awaiting him because King David also said to him, from this day on, you are going to eat at the king's table. He had wealth, he had position and prestige awaiting him, but his fear caused him to be living a life of poverty in a desert place where he could hardly breathe. And so it is that many of us, we live far below our potential because of the internal dialogue that we have going on inside of us. The cognitive dissonance that say to us, we cannot do certain things. We live in fear of certain things because we feel that people are sometimes threat to us. People are not going to like us. But it is it, it is keeping us in a place where we cannot get the blessings that God has in store for us. The windows of heaven cannot be opened to, to, to release the blessings because our fear creates this cognitive dissonance that even though on one hand we know that we are a child of a king because we are children of, of Jesus and that we can do great things. On one hand, we know that, but there is this internal voice that is saying, people are not going to like you. You cannot do that. Bad things are going to happen if you try that venture. And so that cognitive dissonance that is rooted in fear keeps us living far below our potential. Mephibosheth finally came to a place where all the blessings that God had in store for him was released on him because he was able to confront his fear and meet with David. The, the fourth point is that there are cognitive dissonance that is rooted in shame. In John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11, we have the woman that is caught in the act of adultery. And what we find in that passage is that Jesus, after her accusers had brought her to him, uh, challenged them to say, let he who, who is without sin cast the first blow. And they all had to leave because they realized that they were just as guilty as this woman. But what is interesting about that story is that the Bible tells us that when the her accusers, the men who brought her to Jesus to be stoned to death because she was caught in the act of adultery, when these men had all gone, gone away, she was still standing in that place of shame maybe with her head looking down to the ground, not being able to look Jesus in the face because of how shame she was. And so Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? And she said, basically, they have left. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. 
So the cognitive dissonance of shame is that we have this woman who has been forgiven. She has been set free. She could go freely to continue with her life. But this cognitive dissonance of shame that says, you have done this terrible thing, caused her to be standing in that place of condemnation. And so it is that many of us, long after we have been forgiven, the cognitive dissonance that say, you are not worthy of forgiveness. Look at these terrible things that you have done in your life. That cognitive dissonance keeps us standing in that place of shame. But Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. And we can interpret that as a kind of warning, like Jesus Jesus pointing his finger at her saying, go, but make sure you don't do anything wrong again. But I don't think that's how it was meant. What Jesus was saying to her is, go, and I am empowering you that you will have the ability to sin no more. I am giving you the ability to live above your sinful influences. And so there are many of us who are standing in this place of guilt and shame when God has indeed forgiven us and he has empowered us to go and to live a life of freedom. And the fifth point is that there are cognitive dissonance that is rooted in pride. We see an example of this in Genesis 4, that Cain, whose name means special, someone that, something that is prized above every, everything else, that he had this artist sense of, of himself, this sense of self-importance, that he could not deal with the fact that he offered a wrong sacrifice. And even when God said to him, Cain, if you do, if you go and do it again and offer the sacrifice right, I will accept you. Instead, Cain became angry at his brother and eventually killed his brother. And so it is that there, there are people who, when they are proven wrong, they have this cognitive dissonance inside because there is this pride that say, I always have to be right. Do you know people like that? People when even when the fact is staring them in the face that they are wrong, they will convince you, they will argue to their death that they are in fact right. That is because they're experiencing this cognitive dissonance that's rooted in pride. And so if you have this issue in your life where you can never be wrong, there is a need for self-examination. So there you have the five points. And so I, I want to conclude by given a few Bible verses that can be a source of health to self-belief. So, for example, Philippians 4 verse 19 tells us that we can do all things through Christ, which strengthens us. The Bible also tells us in Romans 12.3 that no man is to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so there is a warning there against pride, but there is also a, a, a warn, a, also a, 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 an implication there that a healthy degree of pride is okay. You are to think of yourself highly, but not more highly than you ought to think of yourself. 
I also want to remind you of who you are, who the Bible says say that you are, that you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, that God died for you. And, and because of that, you are special, you're a child of a king. And with these healthy doses of belief about yourself, you can overcome these cognitive dissonance and go on to do great things with your life. We have quickly come to the end of today's broadcast. I want to remind you that if you missed the first part of this, you can find it on our website at elimcounselingministry.com where you can listen to this and over 300 other podcasts such as this one. You can contact us by going to elimcounselingministry.com. Elim is spelled E-L-I-M, counseling with two L's, ministry.com. If you have not contributed to our 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 ministry as yet, please consider doing so through the means on our website. I want to thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the Life Transformation Show. And I pray sincerely that God would bless you in everything that you do and keep you sound in mind and pure in heart.